Hallelujah. God's good. Just can't. I mean, we say it, but I, he is so, so good. Um, this morning, we're in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles. If you don't, fine, open your app, but I'd love for you to turn there. I think it's really important. I'm reading from the New American Standard, but open your Bible regardless of the translation. And in Acts chapter 12, we have the story of Peter being in prison, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But that whole chapter essentially is devoted and gives an account of what happened there uh, in the early church, in the early days of the church. And I want us to focus our attention before we get into that passage that uh, there's something that's really, really important. It's the highlight. It's the central focal point, I believe, of what is going on in this chapter. And it's what the Holy Spirit wants the readers of Scripture to note. I mean, there's many things, but this is really it. This is the the crux of, of, of the chapter and the matter of what's going on there. Because it's all about prayer. It's all about prayer in this chapter. And prayer, you know, we, we like to, to discuss in prayers that communication with God. God talks to me, and, and, and I talk to Him, and, and I talk to God, 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 and I keep talking to God, and that's prayer. Well, it goes both ways, doesn't it? It, it, it does go both ways, and it is. Fundamentally, and in the most generic and elementary way that we can explain it, prayer is communicating with God, and that is the truth, Right? And we still, we tend to make it, or we communicate to him more than he communicates with us because we don't listen. But it is. It is absolutely our communication with God. But listen, I'm going to remind you of something, and I'm going to and just put out there for you that prayer, the purpose of prayer is to enable us to set the supernatural move of God in motion in all the problems and circumstances of our lives. I'm holding back because I'm getting fired up already. It, we have to realize what prayer is. I am so grateful, and it, it's absolutely critical. As, as, as Christians and as the body of Christ, as God's people, it's all about the Word of God, right? We are saved by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. And it's that Word. It's the gospel that leads to salvation. as the power to save, right? But there is something that is so important and so neglected by God's people today, and, and in our own private lives, but even in our public lives and corporate lives, so often... We love to study the Word, and some of us get into that. And we exercise our intellect and our mind, and we reason things out, and we read the words on the page, and they're powerful, and they get past our mind. They get into our heart, and it's truth. It is transformative. It is God's Word. Amen? And we need that. For, for our spiritual growth and to be strong, we must read the Word of God. Praise God that there are three people that read the Word of God regularly. Hallelujah. I joke around like that all the time, but it's, you know, we, we, our response should be like, absolutely. Right? We shouldn't even hesitate. But I want to say something. If you don't couple that word of God and that reading with prayer, I will say this. It's all for naught. It's all for naught. I really believe that with all my heart. It can do a lot of things. But, and, but if you are truly in the word of God, you will pray. You will pray. And you can't read without praying, and you can't pray without reading. I'm going to get that out of the way, and that's the truth. All right, That, that goes into a historical thing, and even biblically, they go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. Prayer and the Word of God, and you must pray according to the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that we must pray and seek God and communicate with Him. And, in, and when we understand that prayer is something that enables us to set the supernatural move of God into motion in our situations, boy, it's transformative. It does something absolutely incredible in our lives. Now, here's the thing. Who is this true for? 
Who is, I mean, who is this true for? We can, and we can say everyone, but let me tell you, if we want to really set into motion, and I will say the power of prayer, when we pray to the one true God and through Christ Jesus, it's for those who are His. Those who are submitted and filled with the Spirit of God, and you've got to be submitted to be filled with the Spirit of God. When you are His, you understand that the purpose of prayer is to set into motion God's hand in your life, in others' life, and in the situations that you might find yourself in. It gets God moving. Doesn't mean God's not moving. Doesn't mean that God's not active. But it gets God moving. And secondly, when you understand this purpose, it's for those who know that prayer is not just communication with God, but that prayer is a weapon. Oh, no, no, no. Prayer is just, I tell God everything I want, everything I need. I tell Him everything that this is how the ideal should be, God. So please make it happen. Oh, God, I so need this... Prayer is a weapon, right? Let me just give you, and, and lest I go into becoming a, a study or, 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 or a teaching session in totality here, it's, if you read Ephesians chapter 6, right, you talk about the, the armor of God, correct? But in verses 18 to 20, there is something there that reminds us that part of the arsenal we have that's attached at the end of the Word of God being the sword, that offensive weapon that we have, that weapon we have, right, as Christians, there's prayer that is there. And you'll find that also in two other places in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, and I believe it's verse 17, you will, or maybe it's 15, you will find, I will check to make sure so no one criticizes me, I was completely wrong. 16. 116. Paul writes, and he writes about, there's, and, and the way he's writing, he's writing as if prayer is a weapon. It is a tool for us to use to do exploits and to get the hand of God moving. And in chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, it says there that don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on and he says, and make thanksgivings and prayers and supplications in the Spirit, right? Sing songs and hymns to each other those are forms of prayer i would argue and we can find in that context it is a weapon as well prayer is a weapon as much as it is yes it's a calling out to god yes it's thanksgiving yes it's praise but it is a weapon when we call out to god and we need to see it as such there is no way to see it any other way than as a weapon in chapter 12 of the book of acts that prayer is a weapon. Oh, it's communicating with God. Oh, it's asking, it's pleading. But it is a weapon that is used in spiritual warfare because their warfare, that spiritual warfare is going on all the time around us. Look at chapter Acts, um, chapter Acts, chapter 12 of, of Acts. And I'm turning there now, and I'll read the first four verses just to get us started. And I won't read the rest of the chapter for the sake of time. You don't want me to do that. But Acts chapter 12 and verses 1 through 4, it says, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. I, I mean, the Bible's real. There's nothing to hide. It's the truth. It, it, when, when it says when he was put to death with a sword, It was that. It was was that. Okay? 
That's what happened to James right here. And Herod, Herod has it out and he, and, he, and he has this agenda. And verse 3 says, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, Herod, who wants to remain popular and, and who wants all the glory and praise, and by the way, in the end of the chapter, he dies by eating, being eaten by worms. You can read that. I'm not going to talk about that. You can read that and you can see why. Because he wanted the glory and he wouldn't give it to God, right? He accepted glory and he didn't give it to God. And God said, glory belongs to me, not, not man. And he took him out with worms of all things, right? And so Herod wants to please the Jews. And the Jews, the Jew, they, they could not stand the message of the apostles because it was going contrary and it was contesting the control that they had over people with all their rules, regulations, and laws and politics, frankly. And so the Jews got political with Herod and Herod got political with them. And he says, wow, they're, they're religious leaders. And so I want them to be happy and pleased and we can support each other. And they don't like the apostles preaching what they're preaching. And I don't like what they're preaching, period. So let's, uh, let's calm this down and let's take care of James. And he says, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, he's got a plan. I'm taking Peter into custody. He's arrested. He's in jail. And it was during the days of unleavened bread, it says at the, verse, at the end of verse 3, which is Passover time. There's a season. There's a time. And during Passover, even Herod recognized this Jewish festival and holiday, if you will. And he's not going to do anything like... During the Passover. Well, that's, that's some respect, right? I mean, at least he, he recognizes that, I guess. But he's waiting. And it was because of the Jews, the leaders. They, they, you can't do stuff like that during Passover. And so he's waiting. And verse 4 says this. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. <laughs> and especially the Jewish leaders, right? The writing is on the wall. It's a matter of time. And then, it's a matter of time. That's it for Peter. And he's in prison. He's locked up there. And in verses 1-4, to four, it seems like evil is winning. Pentecost comes. People are saved. The church is established. And then in verses 1-4, to it looks like evil is triumphing. Herod is out to destroy the apostles. He's to do away with their message. James is beheaded. The Jews are thrilled. Now let's get Peter. Peter is arrested. And then the Scripture tells us afterwards, and you'll see in all the indications through Scripture, he is taken to prison. He goes through a gate. Right? He goes through two doors and he's locked away from the public and the church, his family. And he's not only locked from the public, but now he's locked to two guards, one on each side with chains. This is crazy. Maybe it's because Herod knew that earlier Peter had been in prison once before and he got out. And now, to make sure, he's got 16 soldiers to watch one guy after three doors, a gate and two doors, and now he's chained to two guards with him in the cell. With guards at every post. That's incredible for one man. After you had just taken care of James and you arrest him. It was all 
to ensure that something wouldn't happen like the first time with Peter. Let me ask you a question and kind of shift a little bit here because there's a parallel for us this morning. And can you relate to this? Can you relate to this? No, I don't mean that you've been physically imprisoned. Well, maybe some of you have. Let's not, we're not going to get into that this morning. You don't have to tell us, but maybe you have. But you, you can relate to this because maybe your prison is not one of stone or iron gates and doors. It's not like that. But, but in a, you're in a spiritually dark place. And yes, you're even a child of God. But you're in a dark place. You've been put away. You've been locked up. You feel alone. You're disappointed maybe. You're misunderstood. Maybe you're mistreated. And you're in, let's just get to it. You're in a spiritual prison. Not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. And honestly, there is no way out where you are right now. And you know what the truth is? That maybe others don't even know it. And if they do, they know that they can't do anything to help you. You're a prison. And humanly speaking, there's no way out because Satan with this evil plan has taken you and he's wanting to bind you and he's even set up these guards and he's chained you to something that's very localized to you and you can't move and you're stuck and you, you feel just like Peter. There's Peter. What did I do? I'm just preaching the gospel. I'm living my life. And yet I have circumstances. I have people and I feel imprisoned. So let's go back, and I'm going to come back again to, to this. So what about prayer and all this? Where is this whole thing about prayer and it being a weapon? That weapon that Christians are to use. Well, look at verse 5 in our passage. So Peter was kept in prison. I wish, well, I don't wish, but it's almost like, and God knows best, but I wish the translators in some way, or when they wrote the Bibles, in verse 5 it says, So Peter was kept in the prison. And I wish the next three letters were in bold. But. But. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. But. Prayer was being made fervently by the church for him to God. It may be that in this natural, humanly speaking, listen, in the natural and humanly speaking, the doors are shut and they are locked. And he's chained, right? Think about this. I want to tell you something. You can be in that situation, and even if Peter was physically in this situation, there are certain doors. There's one door that no one can shut, and that is the door to heaven. No one can ever shut that door, no matter where you are or what you're doing, what you're feeling, how stuck you feel, how imprisoned you are right now. And it's not even your own doing, maybe, in so many cases. No one can shut the door to heaven. Still, we never open it. We never open it. Oh, God, look at me. No! Take the authority, if you will, that we have in Jesus. Use it as a weapon and start calling out and declaring that God is your victor, that He's almighty, He's all-present, He's everywhere. He's got a plan. He knows. He started the church. He'll finish it. I'm a part of it, so He's not done. I'm going to get through it, and He's going to do something great for His glory. There is no one that can shut that door to heaven. 
It's always open. And we should do what Hebrews chapter 10 says. And we should go boldly to the throne room of God without shame and with confidence we should go and call out to Him. Even when we feel or if we are imprisoned. Now I'm not defining what that prison is because I know and I trust the Holy Spirit this morning in the Word of God that some of you know what your prison is right now. And you can't even share it with some people. And you won't share it with people because you feel like you'll never be understood. And you know what? That very well may be the case. But will you exercise and use that weapon of prayer? In the natural realm, again, I want to remind you that there is no way to get to Peter. There are 16 soldiers, two chains, three gates, and there's a plan that after Passover, it's going to be the same as it was with James. All over. No way out. This is the end. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're in that same situation as Peter. And again, no human possible way to go out. No one to help. No one to understand. And more importantly, no one has the power to get you out of your prison. But, verse 5, but, but the church prayed. The church fervently prayed for him to God. The church fervently prayed to him for God. You can be reached. God can reach you. You can reach God and you can be set free. So let me ask you a question, and let's look at what the Scripture tells us. So what kind of prayer sets free from the prison that you or others might find themselves in? We find it in verse 5, and I'm going to read it again so you really get it home. This is the key verse here. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Notice three things about this kind of prayer that is a weapon. First, it is specific. It is specific prayer that is, a, that is a weapon in our arsenal, if you will, spiritually speaking. How is it specific? It is specifically, when you read the Scripture, it is specifically for Him. It's personal. It's for Peter. We go to meetings, or we have our prayer chain that goes out, and we hear about people that say, I have a prayer request, or they put it out on behalf of somebody. And maybe in a lot of those cases, those people are in a prison of sorts, if you will. They can't get out by themselves in the natural. And even spiritually, they might be bound or they might be blinded by some things. Or there are things, distractions going on in their lives. And they're stuck. But you've got to be specific. And we pray, we have the prayer team and the chain that goes out. Because we pray for people specifically. Right? By name. We pray for them. God wants that, and we should do that as well. They knew that he was in prison, so they prayed for him as one that was in prison. So it was specifically for him in verse 5, we see, for Peter. They prayed for Peter. Secondly, it was specific because it was specifically made to God. It was for him, for Peter, but that was so specific, and it was targeted to God. God was the one that was being called out to. The Almighty God, the all-powerful one God, who has the host of heaven behind Him at His disposal. They're calling out to this God who was able to set free. It was specific prayer. 
How about you? Sometimes we get so tired or we don't know what to pray and we just throw out this general stuff and it's like buckshot, right? Stuff flying all over the place. That doesn't mean you can't pray that way. Sometimes we don't know, right? But we, we keep praying, God specifies for us. He makes clear the longer we keep praying and He shows us what we ought to pray. And we stay in His Word, He reveals to us, I know what to pray for. I'm going to pray for this thing. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe I'm the only one talking out of experience. With that. I don't mean that I'm the expert prayerer. I'm just saying I've experienced that too. I don't know what to pray, but you keep praying. You keep praying for someone, and then all of a sudden you get clarity, and the Holy Spirit leads you, right? And you don't know, and you start to see what Romans 8, when the Spirit helps you to pray, you start to realize, understand, wow, He does help us to pray when we don't know what to pray. And sometimes we can't even verbalize it, but we know in our spirit what to pray, and we connect. And it's a weapon that we use to, to pray for those who are imprisoned, or when we're imprisoned. It's specific prayer, the prayer that is a weapon. Secondly, it's intense. It's intense. It's specific, but it's intense. The Bible says that they prayer for him was being made fervently. Fervently. Right? All out. All out, all in, specific, calling to God for Peter, and they didn't let up. It was earnest. It was serious. It was ongoing. They didn't give up. They kept pressing in. They kept going and going and going and going and calling out. Why do we stop? Why do we stop? Why do we lose focus? Why do we forget that we have the God all of heaven's armies and the universe behind us and with us, why do we stop and give up and, and, we, and we don't persevere? And, and we're not like that widow in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus says that men ought always to pray and not give up. That means you keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying until God says absolutely and clearly no. You keep praying. You keep praying. You keep going, right? And it's got to be intense and, and you keep asking and asking and asking. I'll use this word too, because it's misused a lot of times. But you know what? You pray passionately. Your heart, your emotion, your mind, your spirit, your soul, even whatever resource you have, it's involved in that prayer that's going for Peter or for that person or for yourself to God. And you do it with fervency. Earnestly calling out to God. Keep going at Him. Keep going to Him. Keep calling out for yourself and for others that are imprisoned. And that prayer becomes a weapon. And thirdly, that prayer that is a weapon that was used by the church here in chapter 12 was corporate. It's interesting. Dave read that two are better than one. Listen, it doesn't mean that if I pray and I have 500 people praying with me, that's more effective prayer. No, because James says that Elijah was a man just like us. He was human just like us, had shortcomings, had failings, had whatever. And he called out to God and God answered his prayer. He was one man, right? But I'll tell you what, in the first church, when you start seeing what's going on and there is this partnership, there is this corporate prayer that is specific, it's intense, and when it's together, look out. Look out at what that can do. And it says, the church, the church was praying. The church that was gathered in Mary's house there, John Mark's mom, they were gathered there praying for Peter fervently, and they were praying together. Together. When we're together, there's something so powerful about that prayer, and it becomes a powerful weapon that breaks strongholds, knocks down chains, 
opens up iron gates, actually knocks down walls, frankly, and sets us free. Those are three things that we've got to notice about that prayer in that scripture. Now, listen, the Christians in Mary's home prayed. They weren't talking about things like saying, you know what? I don't mean to make light of this, but how about we have a business meeting? Let's deliberate and talk and debate and argue. Then we'll pass a resolution. We'll make some motions on the floor. Then we'll vote on it again after discussion. We'll vote, because we're following Robert's rules of order. We'll, We'll vote on it. And after we vote on it, what we'll do is we will send a specific petition to Herod. Would that have done it? I don't think so. I really don't think so. I don't suggest you should never do this. Please, don't understand me. But that's not going to work in this situation. Herod is out. He's already beheaded James. And he's after Peter. And he's in with the Jews. And he wants to destroy. And he's in prison. And he makes sure with 16 guards. He's never getting out because he is bent on taking care of him. A petition and going through that process. And let's go storm. The, what about they said, hey, we should set up a protest. If we get 500 signs and we march around Herod's palace... You know, as Christians, and we're praying while we're doing it, it's going to work. I'm not telling you to never do that. Please don't misunderstand me. But you know what? It's not going to work. That, that is not Peter's way out. That is not going to get to Peter through those three doors and those chains to those two guards. It's not going to work. Maybe they would have said, you know what? Hmm, let's think about this. Yeah, you know what? We're getting sick and tired of being the church, and we're frustrated that we're getting persecuted, and it's a difficult road. Let's protest. And then we're going to protest in a violent way, we're going to storm. We're going to storm the palace of Herod. And we're going to show him that we're strong too, and we're going to free our man Peter. You know, this all might sound far-fetched, extreme, and I'm exaggerating. I'm not. Because these are things that go through our minds and people's minds when there are cases like this and there's imprisonment or people are trapped and stuck and you feel like it's unjust. Or, but it's spiritual warfare that's going on. And even one last thing happens too. Oh, but we're Christians. You know what? I know, I know one of those Jewish leaders. He's really not that bad. So what if we connect with him, maybe we can pull some strings. And you start getting political and you rub his back or you, you have the connections. It's not going to work. I'm just telling you, it's not going to work. Look at our country. It's imprisoned. I hope you're catching all the little drifts throughout. Anyway, whatever. We, we, the people around us, and even we, there is a, they're imprisoned spiritually and other ways as well. They're, they're, this is... It's crazy. Nothing is going to reach them. You can protest. You can pass laws. You can petition. You can pass motions. You can whatever. It's not going to work. You know what it's going to do? Well, you know what it's going to do? It is prayer. Prayer. Prayer according to the Word of God. According to the God of the Word. When you pray, it will do something. What can be done? What about you and me? What about us? What can be done to change the heart of our state? What can be done to change the heart of your unsaved loved one who's imprisoned in their sin? What can be done to change the heart of our country? Oh God, we need a heart change and then some. Right? What can be done? Can I just tell you, and I'm not a downer, I'm I'm a realist. Nothing. No, nothing. Nothing can be done. We're too far gone. I gotta be honest with you. Nothing can be done. 
How are we going to get this world out of this prison? Nothing can be done. What can we do? Nothing. But how do you get people out of their personal prisons? What can you do? Nothing. Except one thing. Pray. Pray. That doesn't mean you don't share the gospel. It has power. That doesn't mean you don't testify. But pray, because that's what it does, and you will use it as a weapon, and something will happen. Chains fall off, and walls come down, and doors open up, and people are freed. You pray based on the Word of God, right? And His promises, you pray. And you know what happens? God answers. God answers. Specific, intense, and corporate prayer how does he answer how does he do it first in our scripture further down i'm not i'm not going to reference all the scriptures involved but first he answers at the end of the 11th hour right the night before peter is to go out before the church is praying fervently and specifically it's passover and herod's waiting and it's about time for peter to appear before him and learn his fate if you will but i will say this god answers at the end of the 11th hour but he also answers on time the end of the 11th hour is on time for god and his plan it's on time according to the prayers that were brought up before the throne of god why did god wait didn't god know that herod's plan was to do away with peter I'll tell you why. Two simple reasons, I believe. The disciples in Mary's home, they had to learn how to pray. They were praying, but they had to learn how to keep praying and to be fervent and to keep pressing in and trusting God. And Peter learned something too. Peter learned to trust God when he was in prison. We were singing, there's another in the fire. Peter knew this. He already went through it once. He went through a lot of things with the authorities. And he learned to trust God even more. In fact, he learned the first time. And he's learned to the point that he's sleeping when God begins to answer and move according to the prayers of the saints. Here's the lesson. Don't stop praying and like Peter, rest in God's promises. Will you do that? Will you do that? In your prison... Rest. But how can I? I have no, I, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like it's possible. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm hungry. Whatever. I have no hope. I feel like I'm in despair. I know that there are other people out there who love me and are Christians, but they can't get to me. They don't understand me. And I'm stuck. And rest on God's word and his promises. You know, it was interesting. I find it very interesting that Peter, and Kate mentioned this, when we were singing, but in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, Peter, the one who had been in prison and went through all this, he can write this. He says, cast all your care upon him. Throw everything upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's able to write that because he experienced it and he knew that and he rested on the promises of God. And here, he already saw it once and he's resting in the promises of God. Give it to Jesus Whatever prison you find yourself in, call out to Jesus, give it to Him, rest in Him. Know that there are people praying for Him and you call out as well and stand on His Word. So, Jesus, so God answers at the end of the 11th hour on time. But He does it 
miraculously. That's the second way he answers. He answers miraculously. But he does it quietly. Did you notice that in the, in the chapter? He does it quietly. Peter is sound asleep. The church is crying out to God for Peter. I don't know what they're praying. It doesn't tell us. But they're praying for Peter. Maybe for God's strength and sustain him. And they knew the end was coming. God help him to stay strong. Were they praying for his deliverance? I don't know. Maybe they were. I don't know. I hope they were. And, and I, an indication is, later on in the chapter, that they might not have been praying with that expectation that God would get him out. The angel comes to Peter at the end of the 11th hour in a miraculous way, and the light, the, the, the cell lights up a bright light. The angel's there. And the angel comes, and what does the angel do? Peter's laying there sleeping. He goes, Wake up! That's what he does. Strike him. The angel struck him, it says, to wake him up. He was sleeping so soundly because he knew who God was. And he had people praying and he had the, the church behind him. He knew it. He knew it. And it was like a relaxed process after that. As soon as he wakes up, the angel says, get your, get your shoes on, get your, get your clothes on, let's go. And all of a sudden, the guards are all sleeping. And in complete quiet, the chains just fall off his wrist, the Bible says. The chains fall off. And then he walks through two open doors. Then they get to the iron gate outside of the actual prison on the stone wall. And that gate opens up and they get out there. And when he's free, and then when he's free, what happens? The angel leaves. The angel leaves. Can I put it this way? The miracle ends. Really, in a sense, the miracle ends when the angel leaves. God got him out where no one could go, where Peter couldn't get himself out, but the prayers of the saints had reached the throne room of God, and now Peter sees this miraculous response by God by sending an angel, and Peter is free, and he's outside the gates, and the Bible records that he wasn't even sure if it was for real or not because it was like a vision to him. But then when the angel leaves, whoa, wait a minute, I'm awake? Wait a minute, is this really happening? He pitched myself and he looks around and he realizes, wait a minute, I got to go to where God's people are because Herod's after me. And if they find out that I'm gone, I got to get somewhere to safety. But even before that, you know what he thought? I got to share this. This is a miraculous thing. God has heard our prayers. He's faithful. I got to go tell him all about it. And so he goes to the believers who are praying. They're still praying. It's, an, it's a present tense verb there in the Greek. They are praying. They were praying fervently, specifically, and corporately, and they're still praying. And Peter goes to that house. Listen, here's the reality. This is something amazing because Peter, because of Pentecost and because of his experience with Jesus and what happened, Christ in Peter and Christ in the body of Christ are the two great realities for his life. It's all about Jesus and him, and it's all about the church. And he's, and he's working for the church and as part of the church to advance the gospel and that fellowship and the people of God and Christ himself because he's in him is all that Peter cares about in that moment. And he had to share. I don't know if he walked or ran or danced or what he did to get there, but he went over there and he knocks on the door like that. I wonder if he heard them praying. Can you imagine him going to the door and he's knocking? All of a sudden he hears someone crying out, a woman crying out in tears. Oh God, please have mercy on Peter. Watch over him. And Peter's like, I'm right here. 
I'm right here. And he's knocking and knocking and knocking. And then this little girl, Rhoda, comes to the door. She answers the door. And she sees him. And she says, essentially in my own terms, no way. (laughs) Turns around and goes and tells everyone. Now that's crazy. The doors of the prison and the gate of the prison opened up, but she didn't open that wooden door to that little house that they were hanging out in. That's amazing to me. It's ironic. I don't know what the word is. It's, it's interesting. It's the irony of that. It's just interesting, right? What was their expectation? She tells the believers and they're like, ah, it's just his spirit. It's a ghost. You're crazy. There's no way. That makes me wonder, what were they praying? What were they praying? What are we praying? What are we expecting God to do? I'm all for us praying for each other to say, God, please sustain my brother. God, please. Why don't we start praying and use prayer as a weapon and have an expectation? I don't mean to be critical of that, that their prayers there, but I don't see the indication in Scripture that they would say, God, get them out. Do it now and break down those walls. And do we pray that way with authority and with, with just a faith that we have in God, standing on His Word, that He's got a plan and that we're part of it and that He hears us. And that he will break prison doors and walls. Oh God, give him strength to get through it. We love your mercy and your grace, God. You're so compassionate and kind. And you'll get him through. And it's all true. But where's the power? Where's the miracle? Where's the stuff that makes people go, wow, that's only God? Where is it? Because their expectations are like... We know God can do this, but God, just sustain him. Give him strength to not, not denounce you as his head is being cut off. How about freeing him? There's no indication there they were praying that. Because they wouldn't even believe that he was there. You're crazy, Rhoda. Expectation. A pastor by the name of Ogilvy said, expectation is a crucial part of dynamic prayer, but it must be built on the insight and guidance of prolonged prayer to know how to pray. Building our prayers on unguided negative expectations is disastrous. We expect far too little. We ask for it and then are disappointed that the Lord didn't do better for us. It makes me emotional because it's so true of us. It's like we limit God if that's even possible, but we almost do. And he says this, the formula for creative intercessory prayer is this. Listen carefully. Ask boldly. Trust completely. And know that the answer is part of the tapestry of God's greater plan. He uses everything for his glory and our growth if we allow him. And if we believe What was their expectation? What is your expectation? Do you expect that God will set free those prisoners that you know that are bound to sin or other things in your life around you? This world, our country. How about your own life? Well, How do you call out to God? Are you just like, oh God, just give me strength. No, God set me free! I want out of here! And if He doesn't, He will give you strength to go through. Absolutely. But call out to God. Prison doors are opened, but the house door is shut, and Rhoda says, no way. Have you kept the door shut? 
When the answer comes, right? And it's knocking at your door. And you've been praying for someone or something. Do you keep the door shut? How about God when He comes to you? Have you kept the door shut? Oh no, God, I didn't, I didn't expect it that way, God. It, it can't be real. There's no way. I'm not opening the door. What about you? What about me? When God comes knocking, have you had the door kept shut after knocking yourself? Maybe you've been through something and you've been freed and you come to other brothers and sisters and you're knocking on that door and because of mistrust or misunderstanding or whatever else it is, doubt, they don't open the door. Are you going to do what Peter did and keep knocking? I'm here. God set me free. You guys were praying. Look what he did. Nah, it can't really be you. Yeah, it is. Open the door. There are so many other things to apply here. I, uh, it's getting late. I'm, it's amazing. The host of angels are released to set you and others free. When prayer is a weapon, you know what it is? It's air support. When you can't take care of things on the ground, we call up to God. Horizontally, it won't work. We call up to God, and then He sends His reinforcements, and the jets and the missiles and the bombs, if you will, start coming. And they start flying, and the angels get sent into that situation from above. They do something from above that can't be done down on the earth. And God sends that air support, and it all starts when we air our prayers to God. In the heavenlies, and again, the angels are released to set you free. And we're gonna, when we pray specifically, intensely, and corporately, everything opens up and falls down. And we're free. And once we get out and the angel leaves, God gives us common sense and He gives us a brain to use and we know what to do and we tell other people and then we start living our life according to what God has revealed according to His Word, according to what's practical, if you will, practical theology, if you will. And now the miracle's done, but it can continue in a practical sense where we live our lives, we go and tell other people, and then we lock arms and keep doing His work together. What prison are you in today? What prison are people in that you know? What have you done about it? God will take care of it. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. It's, it's such a, they're so bound. I, I don't know. Really? What's your expectation? I invite you, I encourage you to pray specifically, intensely, and pray with others. And you'll be amazed. But you shouldn't be. Because that's what God does. Now, I want to pray. But I have to admit that everything I've said strikes quite a bit of conviction in me. It's true. And if I allow the enemy, I can tell myself, how dare you share that when you don't even, like, you have your own conviction about that and you've got to work on some areas. I can allow that to happen, right? But I will not. I will not do that. I will allow the Word of God, the Spirit of God, to work in my heart, my life, your life, 
and your heart so that we become people who use prayer as a weapon. It breaks strongholds. It sets people free from prisons. It delivers. Amen? Look, I know it's, it's late. I've talked for a while. If you need to stay and you need to start right now calling out to God in this way, come to the altars. I'll join you. If it's not right now, do it at home. Do it all the time. Do it anywhere. Do it with others. Share it with others. And pray that God would set people free from their prisons. Amen? Father God, thank You for this account in the book of Acts. Holy Spirit, I simply ask You to take, Lord Jesus, this true account and help us to see how we ought to in our own lives utilize, use prayer as a weapon, God, to advance Your kingdom, to show Your glory. It's Your glory, not ours. So that, God, You can get all the credit. And, Lord, even while we're in our prisons or when others are in prisons, help us, Lord, to remember that while we're waiting for You to come at the end of the 11th hour, we have Your promises to rest on and we can sleep. So, Father, I pray for those who are struggling. They're forgetting your promises and they're in a prison of sorts and or different kinds and they literally are not sleeping. God, I pray that you help them to sleep as they rest on your word. Lord, we pray that we would see and hear about miraculous, amazing things that you are doing even now. Lord, I pray that our faith would rise and our expectation would rise to the level of your worthiness, of your greatness, of your exceedingly amazing, inexplicable power, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that we would pray in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.